Imagine having a bra that you actually want to wear. And maybe this seems inconceivable if you don't already own a bra by today's sponsor, Honey Love, which has transformed the bra game. With Honey Love, say goodbye to underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Honey Love is so comfortable, you may even forget that you're wearing it. Now is the time to spring clean your bra drawer. For a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash birthful. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash birthful. Now, currently, I have been very partial to my Honey Love Silhouette bra. It is super soft and it has these really lovely 3D printed velvet details that actually add support. And I can even crisscross the straps in the back. Also, like all of Honey Love's bras, it features supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. I can tell you I'm never in a rush to take it off. Plus, Honey Love also has incredibly comfortable shapewear, matching underwear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them Birthful sent you. Treat yourself to honey love. I'm a huge fan of preparation and prevention, and one of the most impactful and immediate ways to influence maternal and infant health is through nourishing nutrition. But honestly, when was the last time any of your providers had a meaningful conversation with you about eating habits and prenatal supplements? Prioritizing nutrition can truly change perinatal health for the better, which is why when talking about prenatal supplements, I'm proud to partner with Needed. They've redesigned the prenatal vitamin from the ground up based on the latest clinical research and in-practice experience of testing thousands of pregnant people's nutrient levels to know what they actually needed, not just to meet some bare minimum needs. And what I always tell my clients is that even though they're called prenatal vitamins, you should continue to take supplements during postpartum and beyond because your body still needs so much nutritional support. I love that at Needed, they understand this and have different plans to make it easy for you to meet your optimal micronutrient, microbiome, and protein needs. They have a fertility support plan, a plan for each of the four trimesters, and a lactation support plan, just to name a few. Needed is recommended by nearly 4,000 doctors, midwives, doulas, and nutritionists, and is proud to be the first perinatal nutrition company that's B Corp and climate neutral certified. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth, postpartum, and breastfeeding story is with Vanessa Young. What happens when you plan for a birth center water birth and you end up with a 34-week preemie and an onslaught of breastfeeding obstacles? How does this help you prepare differently for your next birth and postpartum? Vanessa shares her perspective. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thanks again for all the love you give the show. If you like what you hear, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. All right, my guest today is Vanessa Young, who has the unique perspective of being a mom to a preemie, followed by a term baby, and is going to share the differences those contrasting experiences made in her emotional postpartum healing and recovery. And I almost want to say that this is also a breastfeeding story, since for her first, she had to overcome so many obstacles, including pumping while she was on an NG tube, using a shield, a tongue and a lip tie that needed fixing twice, and many tears. So how did it all turn out? And did she breastfeed the second time around? Let's find out. Welcome, Vanessa. It's so lovely to have you here on the show. Thank you, Adriana. I'm so excited to share my story with you. Yeah, and actually you have two stories that we're going to compare and contrast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm excited. Before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Um, I am a yoga instructor, um, a musician. Um, actually went to school in Rochester, New York, um, and uh, a mama to two. Uh, my son just turned three and my daughter just turned one last week. Um, and then, yeah, I'm sort of a part-time, do it on my own a little bit as my husband is in the U.S. Army field band. Um, so I get to kind of run the house with the kids um, on my own about half the year while he's gone. Um, so that's, I guess, a little bit about myself. Oh, and I'm doing my um, doula training right now, partially inspired by you. Oh, cool. Oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, how exciting that you're doing a yeah. doula training. Yay. Yeah. Um, and also shout out to Rochester, New York. How long ago yes. did you leave? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> let's see. That was about eight years ago. Okay. Eight, nine years ago, yeah. <laughs> Did that have, you were studying music at that point here? Yes, I was, yep, at Eastman. Yeah, and which yeah. is a fantastic school. Um, yes, thank did, you. So your husband's a musician too. Did you guys connect here by chance or how did that come we about? We did, Ooh. yep, we met at Eastman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm a harpist and he's a French horn player. How awesome. Oh, I love that. I love that <laughs> Rochester connection. Not that I'm originally Thank from you. here, but have spent enough years to feel definitely second home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was going on with you when you first became pregnant with your son? What were your birth wishes? What were your ideas for the process that was coming? Yeah, so... Um, Let's see, when I got pregnant with him, uh, I was well into my yoga practice and teaching yoga, so I really wanted to have a natural birth. Um, I had actually read 
some of Ina May's book before even getting pregnant, um, just because I wanted to engross myself in all of um, that birthing uh, world and all of that. So that inspired me to research a little bit more on options for me that would be out of hospital birth. Um, and we have a fantastic birth center close by here. So my plan in my mind was to give birth to him at the birth center. And I was hoping for a water birth, um, if that would work out. Um, however, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, he decided to surprise us uh, two days after my baby shower, um, a few days after I had hit 34 weeks, um, when my my mom and my mother-in-law happened to still be in town for my birth, um, for my birth. Uh, Baby shower. The baby shower. Thank you. (laughs) Or my baby shower. And uh, that morning, I got up to go use the bathroom as usual when further along pregnant and sat down and my water broke. Um, So headed in and he was headed into the hospital and he was born eight hours later. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. um, Fairly fast. I had to be put on Pitocin for just a little bit because they weren't quite sure why my water broke. Um, it was clear and everything, but in case it was due to some sort of infection or whatnot, they wanted him out a little bit quicker. Um, so they only needed to give me just a little bit of a boost until my body figured out, oh, okay, we know what's going on and kicked in full force into active labor. Um, and thankfully, I was still able to have the midwives um, with the midwife model of care I was getting at the birth center. They have hospital privileges, so they were still able to be um, the ones to attend my son's birth. Um, so that was wonderful because I was able to still move around and aside of the Pitocin get that um, otherwise unmedicated birth I had hoped for, um, just in the hospital setting instead. Mm-hmm. Um, did so, they, did they, but so I'm guessing that when your water broke, you were contractions didn't start right away. And that's why when you went in they did pit. Yeah, they, they did start, but they were pretty spaced out. They were about 10 minutes apart. And let's see, by the time we got to the hospital, they were, spaced a little bit closer, um, closer to five minutes, but not still definitely more early labor um, in terms of discomfort Mm -hmm. and whatnot with them. Um, But I was when I got in, I was only two centimeters dilated and um, 100% effaced. So that's why they just gave me that little bit of boost. But it only took um, I'm trying to remember how Pitocin is measured. It was like four, was it like milliliters or whatever that oh, was? Oh, I just say numbers. units. Yeah. Units. Yeah, say. whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, until I was right into the throes of active labor um, and my body picked up quite a bit then. Um And then once he was born um, and he, I did have a, aside of the surprise, it was still a very empowering birth for me. And um, I felt 
amazed at what my body could do, um, even though it was earlier than expected. Um, and when he was finally born, uh, he sort of cried, but it was a really quiet cry. Um, and he was pretty purple. Um, so they had the whole NICU team. My husband tells me there were quite a few people in the room. I don't remember that when I was actually giving birth because I was so focused and in the moment. Um, but there was the NICU team um, ready right across the room with the bed and the heating lamp and everything. Um, so they had to work to help him get breathing a little bit better. Um, and after a bit of time working on him, then I was able to hold him uh, for about, I think it was maybe 15 minutes or so. And then when they were doing, went to weigh him and everything, um, they noticed he was grunting again. And the, the nurse did something. I'm not exactly sure what the test was. She was moving his arms out to the side and that's what gave her the indication, I guess, to call the NICU. And they came back in and whisked him away to the NICU. And I had my husband go with him because I didn't want him to be by himself. And my midwife stayed with me. Um, and that's where we began our journey of just shy of two weeks in the NICU with him. Hmm. How so, big was he at that time? He was um, a fairly decent size, although I'm convinced he was a little bit larger because I was on IV fluids because a lot of that flushed out of his system after the first 24 hours. Um, but when he was born, he was 5 pounds, 12 ounces and 18 inches long. Okay. So for 34 weeks, he was a, a quite decent size. Yes. Yeah, he was. Um, which I think played to his benefit <laughs> a little bit, not having to spend even more time in the NICU. Um, yeah, I'm sure. And so, yeah. and, and you wanted to share more about your postpartum stories for this episode. So definitely we needed to do like brushstrokes of the birth because it, it brings context. But how, how was this postpartum for you and starting your experience as a mom at the NICU? Uh, it was it was challenging <laughs> in the throes of it and the moment. Um, I think it was more just going day by day, hour by hour, um, and even once we got home and made that transition, um, it was nice in the fact that we had all of these resources around us to help. So the nurses were amazing. Um, all of the staff in the NICU were great in answering all of our questions. And that helped because I felt it sort of eased me in a little bit um, and getting used to um, caring for an infant and having that support around. And um, he wasn't, I wasn't able to try breastfeeding him until he was about five days old. Um, so having that support of all these lactation consultants around who would check in on us all the time whenever he had his care times and we were trying to figure out breastfeeding and then being a preemie, um, he had a little bit of a smaller mouth. So I'd use a nipple shield and found out later on in postpartum that he had a pretty bad tongue tie and lip tie um, that actually needed to be corrected twice because it reattached. Um, 
So having that support around was helpful in easing into postpartum. But later on, about a year, when he turned about a year, was when I realized that I had a lot of postpartum anxiety um, because of, I think it's mostly um, because of that surprise start to everything and the extra challenges of navigating having a baby in the NICU and you know, navigating how to hold a baby who has all the wires and tubes hooked up and um, then transitioning home, which was a bit challenging and being nervous, especially for him, it was a lot of the breathing challenges. Um, so both my husband and I were nervous those first couple of nights, not really sleeping once we brought him home, making sure he was still breathing because you got so used to having all the machines hooked up where you could see where the, um, what his respiration rate, rate was and how his heart rate and all of that was doing. Um, so without having those sort of monitors to check in, um, I think that's what set in a lot of the anxiety once home. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, and having a preemie too, they tend to have, you know, they are not fully developed when they come out. So even though he looked like just a little bit smaller than what some newborns are like that are term, um, you know, he didn't have that full immune system. So it was a little isolating for us just because we wanted to make sure that we didn't take him out into enclosed like public places. Um, where he could pick up germs. And that's that's sort of where I started to notice my anxiety because I would get really concerned about him potentially getting sick. And my mind would go down that rabbit hole of, okay, he'll get sick and then we have to go back to the hospital and I'll be you know, separate from him and not able to be near him and um, kind of go down that whole train of thoughts. Um, which after I started therapy, when he was a year, um, I was able to kind of learn how to stop that <laughs> rabbit hole of sort of pulling on that thread to mm. take you down that mental path. Um, so, yeah. and, and I was going to yeah. ask you, like, what are what were some of the techniques or what what were some things that were helpful to you to sort of calm down that anxiety and you know, both before and after you had therapy, did you have some techniques that you discovered on your own because you did make it a year through with all this or was it just getting worse and worse? Um, I mean, I, you think that I'd have a lot being a yoga teacher <laughs> to draw on. Um, and I did a little bit with trying to focus on breathing a bit um, if I would notice that, but I was so absorbed in him and his health that, and he was, we had bouts of a lot of sickness his first year. We had about six ER visits in that first year um, with him. And so I felt like every time he got sick, I think that kind of amplified my anxiety um, until I went to see therapy. So I think to answer your question, it got a little bit worse as the year went on until I finally went ahead and um, 
agreed with what my husband had had seen along and tried to encourage me along to go to therapy and seek out that extra little bit of support and help. Um, and then once in the therapy, the what really helped was breathing. So kind of drawing on my yoga practice and starting a daily meditation practice, um, my therapist encouraged stopping when I would notice those thoughts, which it took a while to start to notice that my mind was going down that path. Um, and then once I would notice it, trying to stop it earlier and earlier along that path and take a few moments to breathe and sort of set in my mind, you know, even just 10 seconds to breathe and bring myself back to here and remind myself he's healthy, he's okay, um, I'm okay, and sort of reground myself in the present. Hmm. And I am going to ask you more questions about all that, but we need to take a break. Sure. We'll be right back. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day? That is so many breaths. Now, according to the EPA, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to a hundred times more polluted. So then what is the solution for cleaner indoor air? For me, it's Air Doctor and their line of superb air purifiers that have captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and many more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes all kinds of pollutants, such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that can make you sick. Plus, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BIRTHFALL to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com so airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code birthful and we are back talking with vanessa young about her postpartum stories and right now we're focusing on your first one and <laughs> so yeah i was like it was as you were talking, you were already answering questions that I had, like, for example, <laughs> <laughs> that correlation <laughs> between the, him getting sick and having ER visits and your anxiety growing, because it was, mm -hmm. it didn't seem to, from what you told us, it didn't seem like the actual birth had much trauma to it, but maybe that the, the postpartum experience as it went on through that year had a lot of micro situations that did you feel that they were building and building yes yeah I did and then um, my therapist had me walk all the way through from the beginning of his pregnancy through that entire first year 
Um, and I actually realized that there were parts of his birth story after he was born, not the actual labor and birth, but after he was born, um, that I actually had blocked out of my, my memory in some ways that we had to kind of unlock because it was just too emotionally charged for me to remember. So I didn't, for that first year, I couldn't remember when he went off to the NICU, like when they took him away. Um, and because that was really emotional for me <laughs> to be separated from my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then I felt like each one, each sort of episode that he had health-wise that first year um, just kind of built on the, the last one until it, it peaked at that year. And what peaked at that year for me also was that um, I started having some health issues. So um, when he was about one, I had a month of pneumonia and then followed by a month of shingles <laughs> um, that broke out. So my body was taking on that stress. Um, and that's kind of what woke me up to realize, okay, I need to <laughs> figure out a way to get this anxiety out in a healthy way so my body is not taking it in and taking it out through kind of breaking down in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stressing out your nervous system and then the having that right. create bigger responses like the pneumonia and the shingles. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, exactly. and thank you for sharing that, that, you know, you did mention that it's still that it is, um, well, I'm guessing it's still that it is emotionally charged um, of when he went off to the NICU. Mm-hmm. Was, you mentioned the the fact that while you were in the NICU, you were looking at the monitors and having all those. And that I, I have heard before that it is very reassuring for people in the NICU to have those external elements confirming that baby is okay and mm-hmm. that when going home, you know, it makes it harder to trust that. What, what did you guys do any techniques to try to like reassure yourselves that he was good or did anybody give you any suggestions on how to do that? Was that addressed at all during your quote unquote release from the hospital? Yeah. Um, it, it was a little bit, I think it was more in the partnership with our pediatrician, um, just reassuring that we could bring him in to check his weight whenever we needed to, um, because that was something we wanted to make sure he was gaining weight um, properly. The other thing um, for us was just, you know, learning how to count those respiration rates <laughs> um, when he was home. So being able to watch and notice and see like what we needed to look for if he was having some distress. Um, so that helped to know those signs um, and be able to to see that if that happened, um, which it did a couple times when he got sick, which is why we knew he, he was having a harder time breathing. Um, and then the other one for us, for his specific story, um, he the last thing that he needed to be able to graduate out of the NICU was to be able to hold his core temperature, um, which is really common for preemies um, because they don't have all that extra fat on them. So part of his care that 
they would do every three hours um, was checking his temperature and learning how to do that underneath his arm. Um, So that was reassuring for us too. When we came home, we just kind of continued that for the first couple days to sort of check his temperature and check in and have those, um, yeah, those little reassuring things that we had from the NICU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and you did mention that breastfeeding was a struggle. Can you walk us through a little bit more? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, I wasn't able to even attempt to breastfeed him until he was five days old. Why was that? Which was um, because he had a, a feeding tube in um, and he had the the um, nasal um the oxygen mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so they wanted that to be they wanted him to be a little bit more stabilized with the breathing and whatnot um, and get used to that before trying to get him used to the breast and also also part of it was we did try I think he was maybe three or four days old um, and they wanted just that skin to skin. They call it kangaroo care, where you put them skin to skin, um, kind of tucked in, nuzzled in, like between your breasts. Um, and so we would do that to, I would be um, completely topless and have like a blanket over him and have him nuzzled in to see if he would start to root and show any interest. But because he was working so hard to breathe and to kind of keep his temperature up, um, he'd end up just falling asleep on me. (laughs) So that was part of it. It wasn't until that fifth day that he started to kind of gain that strength to move his head over and show interest in trying to root and latch. Um, So yeah, and then once we were able to, it was hard for him to get his little mouth around my breasts to get a nice latch in just because he had a smaller mouth. Um, and thankfully there was one amazing nurse. One of the evenings we were there who noticed, um, I think she might've noticed that he had a little bit of a lip tie and tongue tie. And so she suggested the shield, which helped, um, significantly to give him a little extra help to be able to latch um, since he had the smaller mouth. Um, During this whole time, I was pumping and able to make enough milk to have him get the milk through a bottle or through the the feeding tube for the first couple days. So that was that. And then by the time we left the NICU, he was... um, pretty much exclusively breastfeeding, but we needed to supplement, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was twice a day we needed to supplement him with bottles of my breast milk mixed with um, a formula that had had some extra calories and things to sort of help him gain weight. Mm -hmm. So, and that we only needed to do for a month. Um, But then after... I was having a lot of pain with trying to breastfeed him, even with the shield. The birthing center has an, two amazing lactation consultants, and I went in one of the days that they have this latch check where you can go in for 10 minutes and or a little longer, and they just check the baby's latch. And she was the one that identified that he had a pretty significant tongue tie and got us connected with the doctor who went ahead and lasered that um and then when things 
weren't still progressing, the doctor noticed that it had started to reattach and noticed that he also had his upper lip tie. And then once those were released, um, then, then things started to get easier. It still took about a week uh, for it to start to become bearable. <laughs> and then maybe another week or so to become comfortable and start to wean him off of the shield. Um, so that was, by that point, I was about 10 weeks postpartum mm-hmm. with him. So, and we maintained a breastfeeding relationship into my second pregnancy um, for a total of 19 months. So mm. that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it just took a lot of perseverance and creativity and we made it work. Yeah. And for those who don't, a lot of people are not familiar with what a tongue tie release or a lip tie release involves. Um, can you explain a little bit of the procedure and also what sure. you need to do with this concept of it re- reattaching? Like, what's that about? Because I know you have to do, and I'm doing air quotes now, exercises to keep yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Um and actually, one of the links that I sent you, I'll mention too, has a great resource for that with pictures and everything. But the tongue tie is essentially towards um, the tip of the tongue, like underneath the tongue. There's like a, an attachment that attaches the tongue to the lower portion of the mouth. I don't know all the technical terms. Um, and for a tongue tie, it usually means that that part is quite a bit further towards more towards the tip of the tongue or right underneath the tip of the tongue so in order to get a good latch for a baby you know they need to use their tongue to draw the nipple in and draw the milk out Um, so if there's a tongue tie the baby can't get their tongue really even past their bottom lip to be able to get the milk out um, and to get a really deep latch. And then the same thing with the lip tie, there's this small piece that attaches from the inside of the lip to basically between the front um, two teeth, um, both there's the bottom and the top. Um, I believe it's most common that if there's a bad tongue tie that it's the top lip that is tied usually mm-hmm. um but like for my son he had it right inside um the upper lip and you could see it, it attached um as low as it could get between where the front two teeth would be and the way to test that is you kind of roll the top lip back and it should be able to get up close to the nose but if it can't it's usually um tied a bit there so that's sort of what it is. Um, and then the reattachment thing and what we didn't realize the first time, so they use a, a laser to release that tie. Um, it's more painful for the mom <laughs> or the um, the parents, I think, than for the baby. They cry for a few seconds and then, you know, you get them to latch and there's a little bit of blood. Um, but pretty much as soon as they latch, they, you know, they nurse and then they fall asleep. Um, so it's a little bit more traumatic for me to watch than for him to experience, I think. Um, but the exercises are with the tongue. We didn't do it with the lip tie, but with the tongue, you sort of 
lift the tongue and like press it back so it doesn't reattach down or put a little bit of pressure on it. Um, and the babies don't like it. <laughs> so they do cry quite a bit and fuss a bit, but it's a nice um, way to make sure that it, or not so nice for them, but it's it's a way to ensure that it doesn't reattach. Right, because um, that wound's open there right. underneath the tongue and like both edges naturally go back to each other. So you've got to keep not letting it heal together. Right, yeah. Yeah. And the resource that um, the lactation consultant gave me was breastfeedingusa.org. There's a great article, and it goes through the, how to do those exercises. Mm, fantastic. I, I will link to that on the show notes. And let's take our second break. We'll be right okay. back to jump into more of <laughs> more of your story. We'll be right back. All right. Hey, Mighty One, as you approach the journey into birth and parenthood, now is the perfect time to make your home a serene and nurturing haven with the help of Home Threads. At Home Threads, you'll discover furniture designed for comfort and functionality, from cozy nursing chairs to versatile baby-friendly storage, as well as a super wide array of options to spruce up any room in your house. Home Threads can help make your home the perfect nest for your growing family and at a great value. I so appreciate that wide range of styles that you can find at Home Threads. For example, I was ecstatic when I found a pair of truly stunning mid-century curved walnut dining chairs that somehow perfectly match my home office chair. I mean, what are the chances? These chairs are not only gorgeous in their light green upholstery, but also super sturdy and just so comfortable. I simply adore them. Explore the amazing finds Home Threads has waiting for you. Go to homethreads.com slash birthful and get a code for 15% off your first order. Do make sure to go to our unique URL of homethreads.com slash birthful to get your discount. Home Threads, love where you live. And we're back talking with Vanessa about their, her postpartum experiences. So this one, you know, you had, other than it being at 34 weeks, it was a relatively smooth birth. But then, you know, rocky postpartum specifically or, or mostly because you had a preemie um, yeah. and all that that involves, which is, you know, considering at 34 weeks how, how early that is, he wasn't so small. So I can definitely appreciate what you were saying about him, you know, that that worked in his benefit. Um, mm -hmm. So then let's flash fast fast forward <laughs> words are hard let's yes. fast forward to a couple of years later you're pregnant again with yes. your second child what were your feelings then towards birth wishes and things that you were on the lookout for so I really wanted even more so to finally get that birth center birth that I had wanted the first time. Um, but my main goal was to get past that 34 weeks. 
and to hopefully get a term baby. Um, but I really, I really wanted to have that birth center birth and hopefully that water birth, um, which I didn't end up with a water birth, but I was able to give birth at the birth center. Um, so around 16 weeks with my daughter, uh, I started the progesterone shots, um, P17 shots for 20 weeks, um, which there's been research that shows that it, for um, mothers who have had premature birth, uh, especially if water broke or contractions started, preterm labor began without really a known cause, this shot helped to, for some women, or quite a bit of women, um, get them to term the next time around. Yeah, right, because they never, they couldn't figure out why your baby was premature first time around. Right, right. And there was no sign they they checked for infection. And um, I know they took the placenta off to pathology. He had a nice big (laughs) placenta um, and took that off. And they they couldn't find any reason as to, there was no infection. They found no reason as to why my water broke early. So I was a perfect candidate for the shots. Um, And although they were literally a pain in the butt, (laughs) (laughs) each week um it was well worth it because it helped me to keep my daughter into exactly 38 weeks um so the shots finished at 36 weeks and towards the end of those last few weeks of getting the shots actually the days leading up to them I would start seeing signs that my body was um wanting to go into labor (laughs) a little bit so um I even had around that last shot that I had the night before, I was even up for a couple hours in the middle of the night with um, pretty intense Braxton Hicks, I'm guessing it was, um, that would come down to even a couple minutes apart and it would be lasting for a couple hours um, and my body would be clearing itself out and kind of all that fun stuff that happens uh, and early stages of labor but then I got my shot and my body and system would kind of chill out (laughs) Mm. Um, so you think that like you were kind of experiencing that the shots were indeed keeping you from otherwise going into labor yes okay yeah um so which is why I expected once I hit 37 weeks that she would just show up So that didn't happen. I think I was able to relax. Um, And I was still going to therapy throughout the pregnancy just to help because obviously there was anxiety throughout leading up to that 34 weeks. Um, And, you know, each subsequent week after that. So 37 weeks, I think I was able to finally kind of relax a little bit and enjoy that last week of pregnancy um, because I wasn't afraid of her coming and I reached that threshold that I needed to be at to be able to give birth at the birth center Um, and then kind of fast forwarding. So uh, I had some paternal labor with her starting a couple days before her her, um, birth. So I 
lost a good chunk of my mucus plug that Thursday before she was born. And then Friday throughout the day, I would have a few hours of sort of contractions, you know, 10 to 15 minutes apart, and then they would just stop. (laughs) Um, And then the Saturday before she was born, um, I thought that my water broke and um, was in conversation with midwives. um, And then that night, we thought for sure I was going into labor because I started having contractions five minutes apart from one another. And we actually took my son to a friend's house where he was going to stay, um, went back home to keep laboring. And then, um, we ended up waking up the next day (laughs) after falling asleep finally. So, um, everything stopped again. Mm. Um, so I went in that Sunday um, to see the midwife who was on call, then to just double check and do a quick internal exam, make sure that it wasn't my water, which it wasn't, that had broken. Um, and then later that day, I had some bloody show. And again, my body was clearing itself out. So I was running to the bathroom quite a bit. Um And I think I needed to have my son settled for the night before my body was like, okay, we're doing this. (laughs) Um, So we, my, I remember my husband gave him his bath before, before bedtime. And I had this need to put clean sheets on our bed and clean sheets, get the bassinet next to our bed all set up and double check our our bags that we had packed for the birth center and put them near the door. <laughs> Some good <laughs> nesting, had, like yeah. last minute, get everything ready. <laughs> right. Um, and I was able to, we put our son down, put Tristram down um, for the night together. It was like a, a nice last little family kind of bonding moment as a family of three and I went out on my evening walk once I hit 37 weeks I was anxious to get into more activity and walking since I was so nervous about getting going into labor prior to that point so I would walk every night around the neighborhood so I went out for my evening walk and I was in denial that I was having to stop frequently (laughs) throughout that walk and I sort of knew in many ways that it was the last walk I was having with my daughter and shortly before getting to the house I actually put my hands on the belly and um, thanked her for this last walk and time that we had Um, and then I went and did my evening meditation and got a little annoyed that I seemed to be jolted out of it (laughs) multiple times in that 20 minute meditation Um, and decided afterwards, instead of doing laundry as I was planning to do, to sit down and watch a movie. Um, And now I will always think of her when I watch How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, because that's what I picked on Netflix, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which kind of fits their personality in many ways. (laughs) Um, I can't, uh, like, I'm fast forwarding to the future in my mind. I can't wait for, like, the moment that you guys can watch it together and you can say, this is the movie I was watching. (laughs) 
Yes. I know. I had to watch it this year right before she turned a year, um, you know, the night before (laughs) when she would have been born. So, yeah. So I got on my birthing ball and I was trying to watch the movie and get annoyed that I couldn't fully focus on it. And I had to get up and use the bathroom again. And then I realized, oh, I'm having contractions. (laughs) My body's clearing itself out. Maybe I should time this. So from that point to really moving from the bathroom back to the room where I was watching the movie and getting on my birth ball, my contractions um, within that span of time went from seven minutes to five minutes to three minutes. (laughs) Um, So I thought I better let my husband know. (laughs) And I've never seen him move so fast up the stairs before (laughs) when he saw me having to lean against the wall to get through a contraction. So I still told him, I figured I ha- that we had a lot of time left. Um, but he convinced me to call Melissa, the midwife, on call. So I called her, and it just took one contraction for her to hear me go through it and say, okay, let's you know, think about meeting at the birth center in an hour. And again, I thought I had more time, so I said, well, how about like an hour and 15 minutes? Because we still had to pack up my son, take him to our friend's house. Um, and then from their house, it was another like 15 minutes or so to the birth center. And I had also let my friend know who is coming to help support me during labor as well. Um, so after we got off the phone, then my husband kind of nervously got everything, got my son got him packed, um, who miraculously slept the whole time in the car <laughs> and transitioned easily to our friend's house. Um, but kind of the funny part with that was once we got in the car, we were trying to get a hold of, we had a list of people who would watch our son for us while we were at the birth center. And we called our first friend um, and she didn't answer her phone which made us a little nervous. And she still to this day has the voicemail I left her. (laughs) That was very clearly, I was in active labor. (laughs) Um, And then we finally got a hold of it, took like the third person on our list um, who was able to watch him. So we quickly got to, well, it didn't feel quickly for me, um, (laughs) to our friend's house, dropped him off, and then got to the birth center where we met Melissa, and she checked me, and I was four centimeters and fully effaced, and as she was um, pulling her hand out, my water broke in lovely fashion (laughs) all over her, Um, (laughs) and she was like, I didn't do that, which I knew she didn't. It was just a funny moment, Um, and my friend showed up and arrived, and this was going to be her first time seen a live birth, um, which she had always wanted to see. And so she was really excited and super helpful and helped my husband get my playlist all set up. And while they were filling up the birthing pool, um, I was just birthing over the, or laboring over the birthing ball and, and on hands and knees, um, or in the bathroom, all those for me, I guess my baby's just, I like to be on all fours. (laughs) Um, I don't like to be on my back um, or sitting on the toilet. That also was comfortable for me. Um, But the water was wonderful once I got in. 
and labored for a while um, in the water and, you know, kind of vocalizing through all of the contractions. And my husband's always an amazing support for me. Um, although this time he was trying to use a lot of the same verbal encouragement and support um, that he used during our son Tristram's birth. Um, and I actually looked up at him once and I was like, I need you to be quiet <laughs> and just shut up because I need to get in my zone, um, which kind of surprised me this time around. Um, and then I, which I hadn't felt with my son, I started to feel the urge to push with my daughter, um, even though later on I realized I wasn't quite fully dilated. I was about maybe eight centimeters or so at that point. So I was trying to push with her and I think I was getting a little frustrated with my body because in vocalizing and everything, I started saying, I want her out, (laughs) get her out. Um, even though I love my daughter dearly, (laughs) uh, that's just what came out of my mouth. So, um, my midwife asked if, since I was pretty stretchy, if I wanted her to try to stretch me, um, in order to do that, I would need to get out of the tub or out of the birthing pool. So somehow I mustered up the um, strength to get out of the birthing pool between contractions that were coming quite quickly. This time, um, in the second I got out of the water, I felt everything intensify a lot more. Um, And then... After that, she tried to stretch me, and I just said, don't touch me. It was too uncomfortable. Um, And I just labored a little bit more on hands and knees on the bed. And then I laid down on my side, and things sort of stopped for a second. It's like that lull before the pushing, real pushing stage. Um, And my midwife, this is my favorite part of my daughter's birth, she asked me, if there was anything I was holding on to, um, and without skipping a beat, um, I told her I was worried that there wouldn't be enough love for both my son and her. And as a mama of three, my midwife assured me that there was more than enough love. There was quite an abundance of love. And literally within another minute or so, I flipped onto my hands and knees, pushed, and it was about five or ten minutes later, she was born. (laughs) Um, So in total, it was pretty fast. It was four hours from start to finish. Um, And yeah, then, you know, I... It was amazing because I was able to, I was on hands and knees, but I was able to catch her. Um, and my midwife kind of helped me catch her, and she had quite a short umbilical cord. So I awkwardly had to get her up to my belly because she wouldn't get further beyond that. But um, just being able to have her connected to me and bring her right to my body, which I didn't get with my son, was one of the most healing things for me. Um, And her birth, both my husband and I describe as really being quite healing for us. Um, So yeah, that was, I birthed the placenta. I got to, we got to let her cord, um, you know, delayed cord clamping and got to feel 
her cord as it pulsed the last bit of blood to her, which was really amazing to feel that. Um, we were both shocked to find that her placenta was quite a bit smaller than my son's, um, which was fascinating considering he was a preemie and she was a term baby. Um, and I was able to hold her and snuggle her close uh, for a good, I think it was an hour or two um, before I um, had to pass her off and my midwife, you know, stitched me up. I needed a couple stitches. And um, then I felt like I wanted to get up and take a shower. So then my husband got to hold her, which was really special for me to see and for him because he wasn't able to hold our son until he was a couple days old. Um, So to get to hold her right away was really special. Um, And the other healing part then was being able to take her home five hours after giving birth. <laughs> and we both kept saying, like, you mean we get to actually bring her home with us <laughs> right away? Um, so, yeah, that was really, really special. And I immediately realized after she was born that there was more than enough love <laughs> for both my son and her. Um, and I was so excited and just kept saying I was I couldn't wait for Tristram to meet Oriana and to get to meet his little sister so I mean that was really special once my husband went to go pick him up and Ori and I were snuggled in our bed at home which was amazing to be able to just have the comforts of home and postpartum healing um, and then that first day, we just kind of spent the day, all four of us snuggling in bed, which was amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's such a lovely story. I was the whole time. I'm like, I'm not going to interrupt her. I'm not going to interrupt her. She's, oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's so much contrast, even from from you telling it like the way you told me your son's story earlier compared to the amount of detail that you added to your daughter's story yes yeah yeah um so i really i'm I'm happy for you that you were able to not that his story was bad it was just right right um but that you were able to have this story and and put some healing into context Mm -hmm. yeah Thank you. Yeah, that's what, that's how we felt. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, and so looking back though, I want to ask you, because this one was so filled of happiness and I'm trying to figure out if it was that you were just starting to tell the story and were minding the time or something. Were there, if you were to tell me one beautiful, good thing that you remember from your son's story, do you have that? Yes. Yeah, so um, the beautiful thing for him, and I did have this with both of their their labors, um, but since he was first, <laughs> um, that was my first experience with that. For me, um, I, I drop really deep internally. Um, as my husband explains it, witnessing it, he said, you know, you were you like weren't even there. (laughs) You were in a totally different world. Um, And what was really special for me was that, um, and this might sound a little (laughs) cheesy, I guess, or 
hippie of me, <laughs> but um, I I have our family has a um, a place on a lake that I grew up going to. Um, that the lake actually was named after my grandmother, who I was very close to. Who my daughter has um, her name is her middle name. Um, and during my labors, I went there. That was where I labored. I labored on the lake, and I felt um, I felt my grandmother with me. Like I actually felt her holding my hand through each contraction and um, getting me through each wave and focusing on the water on the lake as I saw each wave. And so having that that feeling and that presence of being surrounded of the women in my family who gave birth before me, um, present in my birth was what, what really stuck out to me and, um, what I think made my birth with my son so empowering, um, in many ways, if that makes sense. (laughs) Mm, It does. And I don't think it's cheesy at all because imagery (laughs) is huge, right? And, and the sense of comfort and family is huge. So however, whatever gives you that and who's to say, like, we're not judging you. You can imagine what I, you can be wherever you want. Go deep. And the fact that you do go into altered states, this labor land concept when you're giving birth, um, that is required for you to go to deeper brain waves and, and get out of your thinking brain so that birth can happen with this primal body. You know, you you obviously are really good at it. And as your husband says, you're not even there. Like you go deep into that <laughs> consciousness. So which isn't to say that you're not present. I, I, I always clarify right. that because it's not like you're gone in a trance. You're right. Yeah. You're like in both places at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. You're fully aware of what everyone's saying around you. <laughs> but you're also in this other other place mentally. Yeah. And how lovely to have the presence of your grandmother during those times that are so important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was very special. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cheesiness here. It's, <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave We'll leave the cool at the door for a second. Too cool for school. Thanks. Um, so... Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I was like, I can see such a contrast from her and I don't think that her son's experience was bad. I just, I think we, maybe we missed something. So I'm glad, I'm glad I brought it back. Yeah, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, because his, his birth was just as special too. They both were in different ways. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did this postpartum I'm sure it's night and day of having a full-term baby that you took right home as opposed to having a preemie in the NICU, you know, and doing kangaroo care. Um, Right. Yeah. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. So um, postpartum-wise, I felt immediately postpartum, I felt um, more energized um, this, the second time around. And I, the fact that I felt that I could get up and take a shower just a few hours after giving birth. Um, I remember with my son, I think just the emotional um, aspect of it was kind of drawing me down. And I, it took me a day and a half to 
work up the energy to take a shower um, after he was born. But with her, I was like ready to take a shower and jump back into um, taking care of myself. And the the biggest difference too was I had her placenta encapsulated um, because I really wanted to do that this time around and see if that helped, especially given my postpartum anxiety and see if that would help that at all. Um, and I felt like it did. It was amazing to watch the process of having her placenta be encapsulated um, because the woman who did it came to our house and um, set it all up and uh, was very patient with the million questions I was asking her about it because I find placentas fascinating. <laughs> um, but I found that that gave me a lot of energy and um, helped my mood and also helped my milk to come in. Um, and it also, I was able to she latched, I think it was maybe an hour after being born and had a beautiful latch, no lip tie or tongue tie. Um, and I'm still breastfeeding her now um, after a year. And she is loves her milk <laughs> um, and really great with that. Um, the The challenge with hers wasn't necessarily emotionally, and I put a lot of things in place. So I knew um, there was a chance that I would need to get into therapy um, after her birth. So I had, before she was born, scheduled an appointment at a point where I knew like she would definitely be born at that point. So it was about a month out from when she was actually born. Um, and that helped a lot because for me, the postpartum anxiety, the second time around, it did come come back to the surface, but it didn't really show up until about two months in. Um, and I think being proactive with having all that support in place was very helpful this time. Um, for me, it was more physically recovering from her birth because it's a lot different giving birth to um, a full-term baby <laughs> and full-term baby's head than it is a preemie. Um, and she was a, a pound more than my son. So she was six pounds, 14 ounces, and um, two inches longer at 20 inches long. So um, with that, I had a few more stitches than I had had with him. Um, and I also bled a lot more with her. Um, and had some pretty sizable clots the first week of um, first week of postpartum with her, which was a little unnerving since I didn't have that with my son. Um, but I came to realize as I progressed through the initial postpartum period with her that I my bleeding was a sign of how far I was pushing myself. So even though I felt great um, and felt like I could get back into chasing my son around and, um, you know, getting out and going for walks and such, my body definitely responded anytime I took it a little too far and I'd start bleeding again. So um, I had those reminders to slow down and, you know, enjoy some more snuggles in bed <laughs> instead of trying to get out and about and go back to day-to-day -day life. Um, 
but it was a much easier transition, I felt like, uh, than it had been with, with him. Although she is our fiery little one and was, um, had that, I think it's called the witching hour each night. And that Mm -hmm. started around three weeks postpartum where she would just scream for a couple hours. Um, and that was really trying. And that started around the time that my husband left for two weeks for a two week tour. So, um, thankfully I had put in place to have family out during that whole time so that I'd have a ton of support. Um, and my aunt and my mom made a bunch of food that I had in the freezer while they were here, which was helpful. And each night we would just take turns passing around (laughs) Oriana to see who would have the trick to calm her down. Um, So one thing that helped with that was I had a friend who suggested making a list of the things that helped calm her down because it would be hit or miss each night. So we had a growing list of things like, you know, bouncing on the birthing ball um, while holding her or sometimes she liked having her butt padded or her back rubbed or held a certain way um, or, you know, nursed at a certain time. So all of that helped to start to narrow down the amount of time that she would be fussy in the evening. And that finally fizzled out when she was about maybe 10 or 11 weeks old. So yeah, but it was emotionally a lot easier Mm. (laughs) this time around. Well, and it's great that you, I mean, obviously you did so much preparation and, and were on top of it and knowing more what to expect. And the fact that the fact that even though she had this witching hour lasting, so you know, every night, however many hours from th- three weeks, once she was three weeks to around 10 to 11 weeks, and that you had the foresight of knowing that your husband go- was going to go away and you set in place support for that time meant that you weren't doing this all on your own and literally on your own right not just with your right husband but literally on your own having two kids um so yeah good for you for setting that up and and trying to figure out what you could make work thank you thank Mm. you and the other thing i want to mention too real quick that i found super helpful the second time around was that i put together before my daughter was born these little kits so i had one in the bathroom full of all of like my postpartum supplies that I needed. Um, So it was all set and had my sits bath all ready to go. And then in um, our kind of den area, I had a little bin of activities for my son, like sticker books and crayons and stuff that would keep him busy while I was, you know, breastfeeding for long periods of time in those newborn days. Um, And I also had like a little breastfeeding, um, I guess, kit you could say set up. So I had this bin with like nipple cream and a nice big water bottle and snacks and a 
you know, quick charger for my phone um, and all those things that I needed to have right there at my fingertips. Um, And I felt like having all that in place before she was born was really helpful. (laughs) So Yeah, not having to go look for that. Oh, I love that idea of your breastfeeding nook and your perineum bathroom nook yes (laughs) and your son entertainment kit because I was also going to ask you like how did the transition feel going from one child to two children um in some ways it was easier in some ways it was harder (laughs) um I felt like initially it was much easier um just the stage and age that my son was he was just a month over turning two. Um, and so he was, he loves babies even to this day. Um, and he was so excited and really loving her. He always wanted to hold her, (laughs) um, which was really, you know, made my heart melt every time and still does to this day. Um, but that, that really helps. And, um, the transition was nice too because ever since my son was born up until that point he had been really attached to mama really attached to me um and what was really nice in the transition and special to see was watching his bond with daddy (laughs) my husband change um and they had their special bonding moments where my husband would take him out and, you know, they went to a baseball game when Ori was about two weeks old. Um, and just having that time, the two of them, was really special and I think helped ease the transition because it gave them that time and then it gave me time to heal and time to bond with Oriana too and kind of get to know her. Um, but it's a lot more... the. It was a lot more whirlwind in some ways, just um, trying to figure out the balance. And I feel like I'm still to this day figuring out the balance between both kids and making sure that I had enough, um, was giving enough attention and time to each one individually as well as together as siblings. Um, So taking that time when my daughter would be napping and sleeping to get down on the floor and play with my son um, or read him some books and snuggle him. Um, and then making sure, too, that I had time where I was getting to know my new baby um, and bonding with her. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great point. I um, I often recommend that of making sure you set out some alone time with your older kid, that it's only you and them so that they can you know, have the comfort and and expectation and knowing that that's coming and knowing that they're going to have their, you know, you you guys are going to have your time together so that there's less of that regression and jealousy and all those things, just making the transition easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I did with that, too, was I took my son out when it was about almost two weeks or like a week and a half in and I I just took him out to go get a donut um, where he loved to go and to see how happy he was that he got me all to himself even though it was just you know down the street for maybe 20 minutes um, he was so happy for a good few days after that Mm -hmm. um, having that time yeah 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 (laughs) no and it's good for you too to have a good little space. Yeah. Um, 
with him. And I, I truly appreciate, as you were saying, that during that postpartum period that you were able to set out some time focus on taking care of, and I thought you were going to say baby, and you went taking care of myself. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I, I think I waited too long to do that after my son's birth. So um, that was something also that I set up. I As soon as she was born, I contacted my acupuncturist and set up um, a time to see her, you know, I think it was a week after she was born and set up at five weeks with my chiropractor just to get an adjustment before um, that six weeks time was up to get everything back in place after giving birth and, um, you know, trying to to get out, which was still hard, but a little bit easier than after my son when my husband would literally have to push me out the door <laughs> mm. to say, no, go take, you know, even 15 minutes to go for a walk by yourself <laughs> or do something for you. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But it's important because, you know, they need, they need me to be at my fullest um, to be the best mom that I can be. And so I've learned through both of their births and postpartum that it's important I take that time away so that I can be fully present when I am with them and um, be that that best mom in that moment for them. Mm, so, so, so huge. Yes, I agree a thousand million percent <laughs> with that. Um and I also, one of the things that you mentioned, I was like, absolutely, is having that internal gauge of your blood, your lochia, your period afterwards, telling you, hey, you're overdoing it. I, I always say that is a literal red flag telling yeah. you, you got to slow down, go back too much. So mm -hmm. knowing that and being aware of it and, and responding to it is great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Vanessa, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we talked about or that you wanted to let the listeners know? Um, nothing I can think of anything other than just, you know, really tune into your intuition because usually it's right <laughs> um, as a mom and as a woman that's, you know, going with that gut feeling um, both in in pregnancy birth and and motherhood mm -hmm. <laughs> goes a long way and you know your body your baby yourself yes. more than anybody else so right. yeah and more than the internet too <laughs> which is important <laughs> yes so much more uh thank yeah. you so much for being on the show today this has been delightful oh thank you so much Adriana. it's been a real joy to share my stories with you Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can see pictures of Vanessa and also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive A's by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network, a network of podcasts focused on parents. Download the free Parents on Demand app for Apple and Android for easy on-the-go listening. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Wednesday when I'll be talking to a new birth professional to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>